When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, this podcast is all that you get. Josh and Antonio might be it. But heaven knows they'll try. A Ted Lasso podcast and post-show recaps. You better believe it. Welcome to our Ted Lasso talk, talking about the season two finale of Ted Lasso in, was it inverting or inventing the pyramid of success, Antonio? I still don't know. I think it inverted it. I think it inverted oh, it. Uh, does my that God. mean like if you invert the pyramid of success, does that mean failure? We did not talk about that last week, but it seems to me like the pyramid of success, the John Wooden pyramid of success we see in this episode, if you invert it, uh, then the inversion of success is failure, yes? I suppose that that's right. Or is it just some kind of... Uh, is it is is the uh, inversion of success uh, something that is uh, closer to being pronounced success? Oh, no. <laughs> really? Is that what we're doing? Uh, is that is that the is that a tease for a succession podcast? Oh well, we do have succession podcasting available to you right now, dear post show recaps listener. If you are not already aware, go seek out the succession podcast here on post show recaps. We've got a feed you can sign up for. Really hyped as succession returns next week. Is that the anti lasso succession? Uh, it, I wouldn't say anti, I mean, both are about teams of people. Um, <laughs> perhaps that's where the comparison I mean, ends. There's there big is daddy some, issues, big daddy is, issues. There is some soccer in succession. That's true. Uh, is it limited hearts? amounts. Limited yeah, I think amounts. it's hearts. Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, big daddy uh, issues present in succession, obviously. Yes. Not big daddy with Adam Sandler, different thing. Oh, uh, that's a different podcast series yes. we are launching soon here Called on Large PSR. Father here at Large Fathers. Yes, yes, it's going to be a great, great series of shows. No, we are talking about Ted Lasso today. That is the thing that is front and center here as we are uh, not quite concluding our Ted Lasso coverage for season two. Uh, we will be back next week for sure with a feedback show. So we want to make sure we're hearing from you on all of that. Ted Lasso at postshowrecaps.com is the email address. Uh, and of course, you can talk to us in the Post Show Recaps patron discord. If you are a patron at any level, you are able to get into the Post Show Recaps patron discord for the month of October. So consider signing up patreon.com slash postshowrecaps. Next week, uh, we may or may not uh, have a special guest as well. So there will be an additional perspective to uh, weigh in on the events of not just the finale, but season two of Ted Lasso and maybe meditate a bit on the the future of the show as well and then beyond that we'll see uh what uh what the appetite is both for antonio and myself but also you dear listener of how much more ted lasso you want us to talk about here on the podcast but at the very least antonio season two is officially in the books and if the initial plan holds antonio we are officially two-thirds of the way through as outlined ted lasso seasons one through three it's been a wild ride. Like, I am surprised we ended up where we ended up. It just, 
I, I remember talking to you about, are we going to podcast about the show? How are we going to get there? It was early in the summer, I think. We were like, do we do one a week as right. a rewatch, Lasso Road? We didn't do that. Uh, we started with season two. It just seems like it's 12. It's three full months ago. Uh, and much has changed. I mean, I my opinion of the show has not changed. Maybe it has evolved to the point that I feel like it's so much more than it was in season one, if by only by virtue of the longer episodes. I feel like we're trending into a different territory uh, for this show. It's definitely not just a like a workplace sitcom. Uh, it is now, I think, a dramedy or certainly a prestige TV like forty-two minute show. So yeah. uh, the finale delivered on that front as well. And I, I was I was very satisfied and pleased with the finale. I feel um, a little bit vindicated or validated uh, with all the time we spent on the various plot lines and talking out the various stories. It's clear to me that the writers of this show do have a plan, um, whether we agree with some of the beats of that, and we'll certainly talk about them from this episode. Uh, I definitely feel like there's a lot of signposting that we did here on the podcast and that the show did throughout the season to get us to where we ended up by the end of this finale. Uh, and I was very satisfied. And we buried the lead here, not the lead that's in the tabloids about Ted, but Richmond's going back up, Josh. Back to the Premier League they go. They are. Uh, and I think that like it would have been... It would have been a much bigger surprise if they didn't, right? Like, right. I think, like, there is the degree to which, like, um, some of the finale has, a, ha- it has a few beats that are, like, um, expected to the point of, like, inevitable. That, like, if this is going to be, like, a three-season arc, as Jason Sudeikis has apparently outlined uh, and his collaborators have seemingly backed to a point, we'll see where that goes. Money talks. Uh, so who knows? Uh, I don't think we're getting money on the podcast anytime soon, uh, but you never know. By Pink Floyd? Uh, you never know. Uh, we could get a Pink Floyd at some point. Um, but there are, like, it would have been really surprising if uh, they hadn't moved up, right? Like, if we had gone into season three and we were still, like, where we were with the club. But I think, like, the trade off there is, like, Richmond's success has to come at the expense of uh, certain, um, you know, uh, whether it's uh, outright regressions for certain characters or, like, full on, like, falls from grace. Uh, uh, or even just, you know, like uh, little setbacks or in some cases like steps forward um, that may uh, be very helpful for them as people and for the people around them, but also maybe a little bit sad to weather at the same time. Um, a lot of change, I think, is the point that there is success in terms of the club, but a lot of change and disappointment for specific individuals around the Richmond uh, family. Uh, and we'll talk about all of that and i think like that is the way in which this is inverting success right antonio like it's success on the field but in certain regards at what cost and i i I think that's right i think a huge part of what they did to get there i just i found the the that's what makes the sauce so awesome is what uh chris pratt uh says is a character moment for andy dwyer on parks and recreation like part of why richmond succeeded their their pyramid of success had to do with the combination of all the people that were involved and what they contributed. Uh, Nate obviously ends this episode in a very different place, uh, physically, uh, specifically in terms of employment, like all the things and ways that this season changed. We begin and end the season with Nate's face, uh, but what a journey that that face went on. Uh, But the success of AFC Richmond being promoted was down to so much, not just the lasso ethos, not just believe, not just touching the sign, 
uh, and being good to each other and being kind to each other uh, and understanding uh, Jamie giving Danny the ball and those things. But it's also Nate's tactics. It is the false nine that they stuck with uh, tactically that 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 had a huge impact. So what made uh, AFC Richmond a successful team, the pyramid that built that up has been inverted. It's been changed. Uh, and I guess the question as we go into season three with Richmond returning to the Premier League with Rupert now owning West Ham United and Nate coaching there uh, is what what does that inverted pyramid look like now that we've flipped that over? Um, and we don't have a, a very strong base leading to a point at the top. And instead, we maybe invert that. Um, is Series 3 going to be rough? Like, without Nate, is there actually going to be a significant uh, negative impact without his tactics on on the club? And I think it, it's, it'll be interesting to see uh, as we as we move forward. If the pyramid of what made Richmond successful in this season was inverted, what does that lead to in Series 3? Like you, Josh, as you said, Jason Sudeikis, three-season arc. It has always been, it feels like Ted's meta mission statement at the end of season one to Rebecca is we're going to go to the championship, we're going to get relegated, then we're going to get promoted, and then we're going to go win the whole effing thing. I'm one of the few times Ted Lasso swears to underscore a point. Uh, So it feels like we are headed in that direction, but it's the how we get there that's very interesting to me. And that was certainly the case here. I think you made a great point last week about how you can't just have them stay in the second division or in the championship. Uh, and doing a lot of the same stuff over and over again that we did this season. It's a much more natural arc for them to be back in the Premier League and to really be competing for that Premier League championship. So I'm looking forward to seeing that, but it will be interesting to see how the success comes if it comes. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to talk about the episode specifically, um, how things landed, where things could be going based on where it landed. We will go through the characters. We'll go through all of the big beats. We are going to take a quick break to throw it to our sponsors for this episode of Post Show Recaps. And when we come back, we're going to dig into all of it. Stay tuned. Enjoy the banter. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, we're back. Banter has been enjoyed. Uh, oh my gosh. Uh, Got to be careful with the context of that. Uh, banter has been enjoyed. <laughs> yeah, it's probably it's not true. something I oh, should say. Oh dear. It was oh on my, this season. It's certainly. Oh, uh, oh my, oh my, oh my geez. Um, yeah, not, I just, I figured they were sponsoring us now. I don't even know. Yeah, I don't think that they are. Um, anyway, Antonio, um, I mean, there's so many different places where uh, we could start, right? Like, basically, like just like some snapshots is like, 
Nate has gone off. Uh, Nate has gone full gray. We should have known it by the hair all season long. We should have been tracking that. As a, as a huge fan of the video game Shadows of the Colossus, I take this as a personal failing on my end. That video game does something similar. Uh, and uh, didn't clock uh, the hair, but Nate has, uh, has gone uh, full Vader. He's like uh, full, I don't want to say Cobra Kai because I haven't watched the show, though perhaps I should. Uh, that uh, he feels like you know he's he's running like the evil dojo by the end of the season yeah. uh so we we have that on the board we have that confrontation between him and ted he's ripped up the believe sign we have seen how ted has responded to what happened to him uh to what nate did um we we've seen that ted has responded with um just a really uh like admirable levels of maturity and openness and trying to bring things back together with Nate unsuccessfully. Um, so much to discuss there. A really sad in many ways. Like a, 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 I feel like a, a fuller Ted Lasso, but also a really sad Ted Lasso, the character in this episode that I want to get into all of that. Um, there's Roy and Keeley. We have a big cliffhanger there. Um, will they, won't they? Roy wants Keeley to go on vacation with him. Um, she is not not going to be able to go because she's starting her own uh, her own business. Um, is this just the show trying to ease us into realizing these two are not going to be together anymore or, or for much longer? That's a thing to talk about. Um, Sam is sticking around. He's opening his own restaurant, but he's doing it for him and not for Rebecca. Uh, and also, uh, Sam has been uh, wildly uh, uh, verbally abused Incredible. by Ebna Kufo. Incredible. Uh, one of the great scenes of the finale, for sure. So of the, of the series, have we seen the last of Akufo, or I is that not. a warning shot? I don't yes. know either. I I really hope not too. Uh, so that's on uh, that's on the board as well. And then Trent Krim, the independent for reals this time, uh, responding to all of the cries for that's bad journalism with. I agree, which is why I've left. Uh, and Trent <laughs> good, Krim, that was pretty good, Trent Krim. Not bad, right? He's out yeah. in the wind, uh, Trent Krim. So these that are just like going to look great in the wind. Yeah, he's good. He could do whatever he wants now. Uh, that's fantastic. So those are just like a few of like the major, major broad strokes headlines. If you were looking to just get outright spoiled on it without like any deeper analysis, those are the things but how did those things swirl together for you antonio as far as an episode of television uh, on its own merits but also one that has like the narrative energy and responsibility of the previous 11 episodes of the season not to mention the 10 episodes of the first season on its back it was i mean that is a lot to carry that is a lot to carry and i read an interview with bill lawrence uh the co-creator um the uh, co-creator of Ted Lasso uh, from Deadline, uh, where he points out as well, like where we are essentially somewhere in in series two uh, here is the midpoint of the show. Like they have three series, three season arcs for most of the characters, major and minor. I also listened to Bill Lawrence uh, on the TV's top five podcast uh, from your old stomping grounds, Josh, the Hollywood yeah, Reporter. Yeah, Dan and Leslie. Uh, I haven't gotten Dan a chance to Leslie. listen yet, but I'm really excited to. Yeah, really good. Uh, Dan and Leslie, always great. Always great. Uh, and they asked some good questions, some some interesting questions. I thought uh, the overall takeaway, though, uh, is that, yeah, there is a lot that is that was weighing down on this season. Uh, but they have, a, I think, a pretty clear plan. Um, Bill Lawrence said something to the effect of major or minor characters. Uh, they really sat down and plotted out arcs for everybody. 
even prior to uh, breaking series two or season two. So they're in a position where I, I think we are just sort of along for the ride. They they clearly are responding to some of what they're seeing when they see characters that have good chemistry or when they uh, know the actors really like each other or there's a really good performance or something particular is happening. They're definitely responding to that in the moment. But a lot of this stuff is mapped out. So this season had a lot to carry, as you were saying, but it does feel to me at this point now, having seen the whole second season, that they did have a plan. Um, there are definitely things that I feel a little questionable about uh, that uh, I definitely want to talk about with you. Uh, certain storylines that I'm not sure the reason for them or if we feel satisfied about the fact that we got them. I think the Roy and Keeley uh, story is there. Certainly, uh, Sam and Rebecca is there. Um, so some of these relationship-based things, I think we can we can get into. But I think the overall takeaway that I have uh, in terms of like this season having to carry that weight is... Um, because it's already planned out and plotted out, uh, I I just think that it, it maybe is almost unfair to look at this season and say anything other than whether we feel this season accomplished things on its own, because it does still feel so much part of a living uh, product that has it is not you know complete with the life cycle yet. So uh, they have a plan for how this thing's going to age up, and I don't think it's fair for us necessarily to say, well, it's not aging up well, because I just don't know that we know how some of this stuff is going to go. Clearly, um, the the Nate stuff. Uh, was arced out. I think that's a very good example. And I think it's actually an interesting place to start because, of course, Nick Muhammad, uh, the actor who uh, fantastically, by the way, in this episode and throughout uh, plays Nate. It's so brutal to watch. He, so he, did, he did such such an effective job. Uh, yeah. Like just I, I cannot uh, come out harder for for Nick Muhammad as an actor and such an unenvi- unenviable job to be the bad guy on Ted Lasso, like a thing you really don't even want. Right. And he has to embody <laughs> That. Right. That's really, really hard, especially when, you know, his his uh, his background with the series is being like a really lovable character in the first season who for sure has moments where he's like the facade is is cracking as as he has eloquently um, uh, outlined, which I'm, I'm sure you're going to point to. Uh, but like uh, just such a hard job. And I think he did such a great job. Like before we start to like tear the character apart, like I no. just want to I want to lead with that, that Nick Muhammad is just amazing. You're correct. And always, uh, always right to point out the differences between character and actor. And I I will say the tweet where uh, Nick Muhammad weighed in on his views about Nate's arc this season uh, it has I scrolling through the replies so much support of people saying you did such a good job, such an unenviable task. All the things you were saying, like I, I do feel like that that is the predominant, the the vastly predominant view of the public who were watching this play out. That said, people hate Nate, man. Like people yeah, really do hate this character now. So such an effective job. Your uh, our uh, my friend and yours and your uh, down the hatch co-host here at Post Show Recaps, Mike Bloom has recently started watching Ted Lasso. Don't spoil Mike, folks. Don't He's spoil working his Mike. way through. Don't spoil Mike. And Mike uh, Mike is in our Discord channel, just commenting, not necessarily reading. And he said, like, I'm only three episodes into season one, but I'm from Twitter, I gather I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hate Nate. It's like, you cannot escape this. Like, people are talking about it. And there are a lot of really key points, and we've pointed to a lot of them throughout the course of this podcast, but I would encourage everybody to read uh, Nick Muhammad's Twitter feed if you have not. It's at Nick Muhammad. This is his pinned tweet, and he just basically says, here are a few of my thoughts on Nate in responses to your tweets, um, and then he writes basically a, a bullet point list of all the reasons why he feels like this Nate stuff and the DNA of the evolution of Nate Uh, is very present within the context of Ted Lasso. Uh, A lot of them, you know, as I said, we have 
discussed at length on this podcast, uh, like the roast from season one, where he's very, he's just very quick, uh, to get right in there. Like he very much enjoys that. And he's bullied throughout season one. So that makes some sense in that context. But we didn't, I think, really stop to contextualize in that moment, like the larger character of Nate. Uh, who is this guy? Why is he so quick to, to push back? What level did the bullying really affect him? Uh, Nick Muhammad put in his uh, tweet, it's payback time with an exclamation mark talking about that. But like, clearly, this is a guy who has been abused, bullied, picked on, not treated well. And Ted came along and made him feel like a million bucks and then didn't anymore, according to the monologue there in, at the at the uh, the big confrontation scene right. between uh, Nate and Ted. Uh, and so a lot of this is there. Um, there's just a lot of other really good examples in this tweet of some of the microaggressions and some of the things that Nate experienced or was on the receiving end of. Uh, again, I, if you've listened to this podcast throughout, this is mostly stuff that we have covered. But seeing it all spelled out like this, I think it makes it really clear that there is a lot more nuance to this. We joked a couple of weeks ago that this is like they put the prequels and Empire Strikes Back into the same season of television and you're seeding this Anakin uh, situation here with Nate. Uh, but he really has joined the dark side. But I think there's some this is more than just like my mom died kind of dark side stuff like uh, this is this is real dark side stuff uh, or I guess my 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 the, the mother of my children in the, the prequel sense. Spoilers alert for the, the Star Wars. Prequels. You're good. You're good. Deidre, that was those were Star Wars references. Yes. Oh, uh, point shouting it out direct directly for Deidre. That, that's yeah. fair. That's fair. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What did you? How do you feel now that we're at the end of the season? How do you feel about the Nate arc and sure. whether it was seated properly? So, uh, my my first uh, my first thought is, oh no, you're really gonna give him that hair for season three? That's like, a wig. <laughs> we're gonna put we're gonna put we're gonna put Nick Muhammad in a wig for wig season watch. three. Like we're really gonna do that. Um, I think actually, though, um, this may be a hot take, or this could be a premonition that we will look back on and uh, and and see, like, okay, that was that that bared out. Um, I think that like evil sort of Cobra Kai sensei Nick Muhammad as Nate with like a like a wig that signifies his his turn towards villainy is going to be like so hammy that I think it could like arc us back towards beginning the process of like getting if not good with Nate then like building something different with Nate to enjoy him more as a character I think that there could be something like almost a little bit like slapsticky about the visual um yeah. because if this is like the Darth Vader arc yeah we're obviously we're just spoiling Star Wars sorry if that's you who you've managed to make it all this time and it happened for you on a Ted Lasso podcast but it's happening for you on a Ted Lasso podcast unless you skip away like if we're doing the Darth Vader-ish arc with with Nate then like he has to like do something akin or Anakin even ah, to, I was to, waiting to, to, to throwing uh, to throwing Palpatine <laughs> down like uh, you know of like the power shaft or whatever oh. the hell that thing is you know he's gonna have to throw him down uh and so like what's he gonna do to rupert for ted right like something like that will will go down so i think like you have to see like some semblance of like the building back up arc in season three and your mileage is really gonna vary with with nate and it seems like most people's mileage is just like the outright f nate um and i can't like I'm not going to like defend against that. I'm not going to like uh, clap back against that. All I can tell you is how I 
felt uh like logic aside anything aside other than how i felt and how i felt watching him especially like um in like the the beginning of the episode like him like having to like live in like the coexistence of like how ted is responding to this story and how people are responding to ted's response to the story um and like the have i been caught like all of this stuff like you know like there was like a, a sense of like fear and shame and then when he's not caught that's like turning into like anger because he's not being admonished. He doesn't get admonished by Roy for kissing Keely, all of this stuff. And like, I, everything that he's doing is awful. Like what he's doing is awful. And he there's no, the sign, there's no excuse for it. There's like no excuse. There's no justification. There are maybe like inroads to like understanding how a human being does the things that he does. And I think that some of those inroads are like, when you've seen this person, uh, like when you've been with this person, when you've spent time with this character, um, and when you've like, when this is somebody who you have, you have, you know, loved as a fictional character, that this shit's just sad. Uh, it's really, really, really sad. And our world is populated by so many Nates. Uh, like we live in a, in a world where people behave this way. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, whether it's due to perceived slights or actual slights that fester and metastasize into this really horrible, uh, like spewing of malignance. Um, you know, like it's just very, very sad. And watching Nate's arc more than anything, uh, more than feeling angry, uh, I felt like a lot of like pity and sorrow and sadness for so much of like a swath of our human population uh of like the modern person um and it was it was really really um really effective performing from Nick Muhammad in that character uh in 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 that character moment um with with just like the whole like f you ted and the way that he like threw it all at him like i think a lot of people's rightful response to that is just like f this guy this guy is just being horrible and there's no question in my mind that he's being horrible and like f the things that he's doing but that's also that's nate you know it's nate uh and it's it's this person who as nick muhammad points out in his tweet that when you go to ted lasso's flat you see that there's like the picture on his mantle that nate gave him for christmas is right next to like Ted's picture of his kid like he loves Nate he cares about Nate and he just didn't give Nate all the things that Nate needed uh and didn't know that that was something that he had to do but like I don't think that like even seeing that believe poster at the end of the season uh being ripped in half and knowing who did that like even after he said f you to to Ted that like when they're back on the pitch and like things are starting to turn up and like Ted's like excited about that. Like he even like goes over to Nate and like hits him on the shoulders, you know, like he even like has that moment. Yep. So like, I, I feel like there's, there's a piece of me that like, I'm trying to like follow Ted's lead on this, which is, I think that Ted isn't angry. I think Ted's heartbroken. I think that this broke Ted's heart. And I think it's going to like, I think you see that in like the rest of the episode, a thing that I kept waiting for was Ted's resignation. Uh, by the end of the episode and when he was like going in to Rebecca's office uh, like I kind of expected that might be a resignation scene and it wasn't it was like actually like a fairly insubstantial scene between yeah, Ted and really, Rebecca yeah. uh, you know like basically 
technically devoid of substance entirely other than uh, Rebecca and Sam. Um, so I, I really thought that that might be where we were at because he was so sad. He was so upset about like uh, what has happened to this person. How could he have failed this person? Uh, and like, those are, I think, things that he is feeling. Um, and in many ways, like probably really unnecessarily like taking a lot of the hits on this, but other ways in which he's probably trying to examine like, where did this go wrong? And I think that like, we are still trying to unpack that even with the things that uh, Nick Muhammad has pointed out as an actor, what you can read about in postmortems, or even when Nate gives his tirade in the office. Um, I think it is, it is perfectly acceptable, beyond acceptable to have like a very violently angry reaction to this character and what he's doing and how he's behaving. I can only just speak for myself, Antonio. I just feel like really sad and upset about it. I understand. I do. And for me, it's so wrapped up in the communication breakdown that happened between Ted and Nate that happened in part because Ted was so in his own head this season. And that part makes me feel uh, some type of way. I don't exactly know um, how to phrase it, but I'm in a situation where I don't want the show's suggestion to be if you do the work and you focus on yourself, then people around you are going to be let down by you are going to be disappointed, and they're going to be problems of your own creation because you didn't spend time focusing on other people. You spent time focusing on yourself, which is exactly what happened with Ted this season, right? Ted has been absentee in a way. Uh, he didn't know what was going on. I'm not. He did not intend the microaggressions to be microaggressions, but they were. He wasn't paying attention. He didn't get it. And part of the reason why is his head was in a million other places for a million other reasons. Like you said, for leaving his family behind, uh, for doing what he is doing, and for expressing the the things that he expressed in terms of the choices he made when he gives his great speech to the team in this episode, that the team is immediately behind him because it's just like we understand, coach. Uh, we understand, and we, we've got your back. Uh, so I don't want the takeaway. And also, we'll kill them all. Whoever's yeah, oh, the mall will kill I them love all. That so much. I love. <laughs> Bumbercatch screams, follow the money! Yeah. And I laugh so hard. I laugh so hard because yeah. yeah. follow the money has very little to do with this, and yet it is perfectly conspiratorial uh, in its tone and in its delivery. Like, everything about that was so funny. Uh, but that, that speech, I, d I think, does speak to Ted's vulnerability. Uh, I don't want Ted to have setbacks. I, I gotta say, the, the most pleasing thing to me about this episode, rather other than any of the actual outcomes of the season or any of that stuff, is that after that such a mental health hit, um, having his problems exposed nationally, internationally, uh, the way that they were, and why they were exposed because of Nate, and how that feels like a personal failure to Ted, and all of that, I'm so glad that Ted's mental health was in a good place this episode. I'm so glad for that. Yeah. Uh, because, I, like I said, my biggest concern about this is I don't want anybody to have the takeaway that if you do the work and you're focusing on yourself, uh, that you're doing something wrong yep. or that bad things will happen i don't like the inference just like i didn't like the inference that nate leaked to the paper because he had a bad uh romantic interaction with keely and felt stupid as a yeah, result i still think they did a bad job connecting those things inelegant for sure yeah. for yeah. sure um at, at a minimum but so i don't want the inference of this to be ted's doing the work and because ted was doing the work ted was asleep at the wheel in terms of paying emotional and compassionate attention to others i I think there's a lot of reasons why Ted um, was some was somebody who 
maybe made Nate feel like a superstar in Series 1 and then did not in this one. Uh, there were a lot of reasons to explain that. Part of it is, I think Ted has this relationship with Beard and a little bit with Roy where Ted doesn't really get into a lot of this really deeply personal stuff. Uh, he and Beard exist on a level where they don't have to commune that way to support each other. But the times when they really do need to do it um, are significant because they are more limited uh, and because they are more serious and more real. I love their relationship, but it is not one where Ted's constantly around making Beard feel like a million bucks uh, or Ted is paying a ton of attention to Beard's mental health. He lets Beard kind of be out there in the world and be Beard. Uh, and maybe that's not the best thing, but that's their relationship. And I feel like Ted was just very trusting of Nate. Um, Nate's interpretations of all this stuff, obviously way out of left field, but understandable uh, still in the ballpark, right? Like he's not saying like Ted when I didn't see the picture in the office, uh, I assumed you hated me. He's basically, he was hurt. He was hurt by that. Um, never assuming that Ted ripped up the picture or threw it away. Um, he, he never really assumed what might have happened with it. He just noted that it wasn't there. Right. His problem is he never really thought, uh, hey, maybe he took that home and it was very personal to him. So those little misunderstandings, they definitely come as a result of communication breakdown between a manager and one of his employees. Uh, and as I said at the outset of this podcast, I feel validated, vindicated, whatever you want to V word you want to use uh, for the emotional and uh, otherwise time uh, investment in this season. Because at the beginning of this season, we were saying like, so Ted's just going to bring Jamie back to the team and not talk to Sam about it. And there's going to be no consequences. Like in that moment, there weren't, but there were consequences for Ted's lack of attention on some of these things. And Nate is the biggest one. Nate yeah. is the chickens in their gray hair fully coming home to roost. By the way, I think you make a great point about the wig and how that allows you to maybe lean into, because we know Nick Muhammad can be very funny, yes. devastatingly funny. Uh, maybe it will allow them to lean into the, the pantomime villain aspects of uh, Nate uh, as this manager. And I think that tracks with uh, Nick Muhammad pointing out that it made him uh, think of uh, the Premier League's pantomime villain, uh, actually probably European football's pantomime villain, Jose Mourinho, um, who is a very successful successful coach uh, who is a slight of build smallish man who has that same gray hair uh, and it's funny that Nick Muhammad is using uh, Jose Mourinho as a signpost on the hair if he uses him as a behavioral signpost it will be very entertaining to say the least yeah uh, I think that there's I think that there's going to be a lot of room to play with like because like what the setup there is is you know we've got like the two uh, like the two head coach rivals, you know, and like what also is like um, uh, coach Nate's staff going to look like is a thing that I'm excited to find. Like, who are those characters going to be? Like, I think that like there's no way to like sustain that storyline um, without like feeding it some humanity. He can't just be like, you know, like um, like an all the way one note evil villain. Um, but like if they try to like go there at all, like in like a major way, I think it's going to come across as like relatively hammy in a way that I think could work actually. Uh, so, I don't know. But again, like, I think people's like ability to like tolerate that stuff is going to really vary from person to person, considering like the actually unforgivable things that he does in this episode uh, and what he's right. done in this season. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, there's definitely room and I, I'm confident Nick Muhammad can handle it. Uh, and I, I think you're probably right that there's there's the ability for them to go and be funny with this or be funnier. The other thing, too, is with Rupert being there. It isn't just the two head coaches, right? Because we've always talked about how 
Rebecca and Ted have these weird connective moments. The show has remarked on it uh, and how their stories are similar. Uh, Rebecca's sort of uh, mirror image or dark shadow or whatever you want to call uh, the Ted and Nate relationship there with Rupert being there now as well. Um, there's the opportunity to bring different level of villainy and he can be the sort of menace or very negative energy villain in the way that Nate could be the pantomime villain. Uh, so I do think that there's room for different levels there uh, with Rupert uh, yeah. being in the mix as well. So um, there's a lot to play with, I think, and uh, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Of course, I'm looking forward to it, but uh, I, I, I am surprised. I am surprised that uh, I, I do wonder if we're going to get any kind of backstory. What, what happened here? It was just a passing reference uh, at that funeral where Rupert whispers something into Nate's ear and the performance almost seemed to suggest that might have been their first ever conversation. Uh, Rupert was previously the owner of the club when Nate worked there, but Nate was just a kit man. So whether or not Rupert knows much about him, I don't know. Um, what level is this? Just a spite team? Uh, is this a Larry David Curb Your Enthusiasm uh-huh. spite store level? Is this just a spite club? I mean, West I Ham probably would fit that. West Ham would fit that. I know nothing about West Ham. Is there anything that we need to know? Like actual team? Yes. Yeah, actual team, actual team. Uh, the, it it fits, I think, with where um you want to put uh afc richmond in terms of the sort of fictional uh fictional uh level because this would be like an east west rivalry i believe that richmond is west london Uh, i think west ham despite being called west ham uh is an east london club uh and they they i think their traditional rivals are millwall who are not in the premier league and who uh have probably the most notoriously terrible fan base uh in at least english football um so I, I, that, that, that rivalry is famously captured in the, uh, is it Elijah Wood? Is an Elijah Wood project, the Green Street Hooligans? Uh, Not is a, sure. a football film. Um, I can't remember who the lead of that is. I think it's Elijah Wood. Uh, but, uh, Charlie Hunnam is in that movie as well. Uh, and anyway, that's, uh, that, that'll tell you a little bit about West Ham because that's about, uh, West Ham football supporters, uh, in Ooh, the Claire kind of, Forlani is in that. Claire as well. Forlani is in this. Yeah. yeah that's, a. It's like a hooligan. It's about hooliganism and the hooliganism in the English game. So, uh, it, it they have a club with a with a big rep. One thing I will say, uh, accidentally here on this podcast, we sort of manifested this because earlier in the season, as uh, as Beard is being beaten down in Beard After Hours by uh, Jamie Tart, James Tart Senior, uh, and his his boys, uh, Marcus Mumford, the music uh, supervisor on this show, lead singer of Mumford and Sons does what he did in the first series when he sang You'll Never Walk Alone. He sings another football club's anthem, the Man City anthem, uh, Blue Moon. And I joked on this podcast, what's next for series three? Is he going to sing I'm Forever Blowing Bubbles, the West Ham song? Now it seems like he actually might be doing that. Yeah, very likely. <laughs> uh, so it will be very interesting to see that and see how all that plays out. Uh, it, I, uh, I, I don't know. I mean... West Ham, not traditionally uh, the one of what we would call the top six clubs in English football in terms of size and, and revenue, uh, but they've had some success for for sure. Uh, this is not a out of nothing or nowhere club. Uh, so it will be very interesting to see uh, if they are now being positioned as the main rival, even though Man City was in series one and two, if it's now West Ham all in. Yeah, uh, I think it probably will be because I think like, 
I think that the story is going to orient Ted against Nate uh, or Nate against Ted. It's, you know, poor phrasing, but like those two are in some form of opposition now, uh, like literally professionally. Uh, and then uh, quite likely, um, you know, uh, that is going to be a rightful focus of the show. Um, and I think like a lot of like, uh, character building and world building that can come um, stemming from that. So I'm curious to see if this is not a thing that's going to be as simple as right, like uh, getting Jamie Tart on board in episode two. You know, like we can't bring Nate back into the fold three episodes into Ted Lasso season three. The the like the the depth of the impact crater, right? Like that's just not something that can be done. Um can things be um not nothing's gonna be reversible, um, at least not plausibly, I think. Uh, you know, but like can things be like um reoriented and can things be uh can things can things can can new bridges be built? Uh, like I think is a question that will be on the mind of the show, uh, and I I think that the show will certainly attempt that. Would be my guess. Like I think like this was a season that had darker moments for sure, uh, and I don't think that we are out of uh, the woods on that stuff yet. But I also think that at the end of the day, uh, this is a show that is meant to uplift and show the possibility of the human condition uh, and the and the. You you know the 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 things that can happen when when you let go of anger and all of that stuff and when you come together and like i think that the show is going to try and go there with this story whether that's going to be successful or not i think is really going to um depend a lot on um on uh the execution of the writing which i do think this season has had moments where it's been really inelegant so i don't think it's slam dunk to mix my sports metaphors uh as as far as like a thing that will for sure happen um but i think also uh where we are with the character and what is our own capacity to like let the show and specifically the character of Ted Lasso and uh, then by extension, the character of, of Nate, where is that going to, where is that going to guide us as far as where we land with those people? I only can say that like that scene was one of, it was such a painful scene and I had not even really clocked that the last time that those two characters had had an, a, a scene together alone, as Nick Muhammad points out, since uh, Ted yelled at him on the on the road trip in season one, uh, and then um, he and then when he apologized to him, that was the last time those two characters were alone together in a scene yep. until the season two finale. Um, like that was the like the degree to which even I, as somebody who's like carefully watching the show, is like where's this where is this argument of neglect coming from and then it's like oh well yeah i mean they haven't had a single conversation together in over a year uh you know is uh that's significant it's not insignificant um that that is an example of elegant writing right like that's an example of not even writing right like that's just an example of understanding how to tell a story by not telling one like by showing that they're not together or they're not on the same page that's just really smart uh and I like you said a thing that maybe isn't Im- immediately evident, but is definitely there, and one which I think is uh, is very telling. Um, it's very telling for us. It's very telling for Ted and their relationship. I have a question for you. Um, I think you. I think you said something that re- really resonated with me earlier, uh, which I felt as well. But then I said to myself, "Ted doesn't quit." Uh, when you said that it, it seemed like it would be leading to a Ted resignation. 
Uh, because I think uh, Nate really scored some massive body blows yeah, there when he said, yes, you go should back be, to America yeah. with your son, right? Yeah. Like, so brutal. Yeah. Um, and I thought, okay, Ted's going to say, he's right. What the hell am I doing here? Uh, he didn't do that. But I think you, since Ted's not a quitter, um, maybe he will be by the end. Maybe he will be comfortable with quitting by the end of season three. And maybe that will be his arc in terms of getting past the issues that caused his what we might call toxic positivity, the issues with his father, not wanting to give up on things. Uh, maybe now um, Ted will get to a place where he's comfortable choosing health and giving up on something, choosing what what is there for his family. Just such an interesting thing to think about in the context of Jason Sudeikis making Ted Lasso and the debate over whether the show should continue beyond the third season, which is already planned out the three seasons. Um, and then there's no plan beyond that. And Jason's commitment to being away from his own family for six months a year, it's just, you cannot take it in on any level other than uh, it's wild to think about the connections between the character and creator. But my thinking is there's a, po- there's a world where Rebecca has to fire him as well. Uh, not one where Ted will quit. Uh, I think there's, like I said, there's elegance and beauty in his arc that he's comfortable with quitting. Uh, they win the title and he's able to walk away at the end of this series. Uh, maybe there's one where Rebecca gets rid of him. Is there a world where the next coach of AFC Richmond is Nate Shelley? Um, hard for me to envision that at this point. Uh, really, really hard for me to see that. Um, there's a world, but they're really going to have to work hard to earn that if it's in season three. You know, like I think that if that is like in the plan after like the 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 degree to which we dropped and i'm even saying this as somebody who's like really working like at like feeling that empathy for the character right like right. i think that like it's a it's a fatal misunderstanding of like the units of television uh you know like <laughs> how many there are left you know like i think like it, we're talking like 12 episodes for season 3 if they do the same thing in season 2 you cannot take this Nate and install him as the head of Richmond uh by the the end of season three i feel like uh with that much space without um and i mean it's something that the show introduces in this episode um time jumps you know time jumps can get you pretty far if they're done effectively um so like there's a world where that could go down um but like on like a relatively straight line of even like two months later like at the end of next season like ah i don't know i don't know that we really want to see that necessarily but Maybe. I don't know. I want to believe. I know that the believe banner has been ripped in half. Um, but I want to believe. I want to believe in, um, in, in, in the healing possibilities, uh, in this particular storyline. But it's, it's a, it's a really big ask. And, um, I have a lot of respect for the show kind of like setting up that degree of difficulty for itself because I don't think that the show is going to shy away from trying to, to like, get the characters and the audience at a place of peace by the end of this thing. And I think that that's going to require some measure of like, if not outright forgiveness for Nate, then I think like um, some acceptance of the situation and and what has happened here. Uh, And I think that like doing that well is going to be incredibly hard. And it is, um, it is like a narrative. It's like a feat of narrative difficulty that you expect uh, an Emmy winning show to attempt um, yeah. whether or not it can um, nail the attempt is a totally different question, but I admire uh, the interest in going there. Yeah. I, I just think it makes, I do. I, I, I completely concur with everything you just said. 
I, I, the only reason I brought it up is because in a world where I do believe that by the end of the third season, Ted will not be at AFC Richmond anymore. And it will either be uh, by his own choice because he takes a job with the U.S. national team or he did offer some, to resign last season. He did offer to resign last season. That's a good point. Uh, and maybe, so maybe he'll do that again like that. And he did that in their, their big, like, uh, you know, end of season kind of moment, uh, like we had here when he comes in, uh, and, the, and after the promotion, I uh, came in after relegation that time. So, you know, there probably will be a third scene, uh, with, uh, Ted and Rebecca after the end of the season, uh, or something to that effect. Uh, maybe he goes back home and maybe that's it. Uh, I don't see coach beard sticking around AFC Richmond without Ted. Roy could be the next head coach of AFC Richmond, but, and we'll get into this. It certainly feels like Roy's story is more about like Roy not necessarily needing something else. Like it feels like this season to an extent, Roy replaced playing football with being in a relationship with Keeley uh, and was there constantly uh, involved with her. Roy's a guy who, as a footballer, as an athlete, all these stories you hear about ex athletes when they retire. They're so used to structure. They're so used to practices at this time. The matches are on these days. This is what we do. This on even when you're on vacation, you're working. As Roy points out in this episode, so I don't know that a great end for that character is to become the head coach. I almost feel like the great end for that character is to realize he doesn't need any of this to be happy. That he's able to find some kind of structure or happiness. Self satisfaction is uh, is an underrated skill, right? (laughs) And like an underrated like place to be. Uh, Some people tell me about this state of existence. (laughs) What is this mythic uh, world that you speak of? I've heard of it. I've never. I've not. uh, I I believe it to be myth until I see it myself. But I think like something in that realm of like. Uh, comfort within your own skin, I think, is a big piece of the Roy Kent arc, uh, and, as as I think, like, really underlined in his final scene in this episode. But he's really good about some of that stuff. The Yoga Moms is a good example of that, right? Like, he doesn't necessarily even crave the spotlight. He loves that those ladies don't know who he is. Like, he loves that he's able just to hang out and watch bad reality TV. So, he is strikingly well adjusted in some ways but i do think that the story that was told here uh throughout the course of this season is how he wasn't perfectly adjusted like he definitely needs some educating he needs some some self-work he needs to get into a good place and we've seen throughout the season how good keely uh and roy were together for each other in those ways and how supportive they were and all of that uh so there's been growth but i he's still on a path uh so I don't know that that path ends with him wanting or needing the management job. It's certainly not going to be Higgins because he's not an on-field manager. Um, that kind of really just leaves me with like, if Ted leaves AFC Richmond, it feels like the right one to take the job would be a Nate. Uh, Nate who has improved. Nate who cares deeply about AFC Richmond, even though he's now at West Ham in this anger phase. Nate the Gray. Um, it just feels like the the salute, the way to bring this back, and the the the, the nice bow is at the end of this is. You know, Trent Trent Krim makes a joke in the first season, in the third episode, uh, in the episode where Ted is or Trent is writing the article about Nate. Like, you're entrusting a Premier League team's offensive attack plan to a kit man, uh, and Ted's like, Nate's forgotten more about this game than I ever knew. So, uh, I I do think that the kit man who was featured and and played such a prominent role 
in the early tactics of AFC Richmond, becoming the manager, somebody who cares so much. He sprinted across the pitch to yell at them to stay off of it. Like Richmond is so important to Nate uh, that he's away from it now out of rage and anger and in spite. Uh, if those things die down, um, I could see him coming back and him coming back to be the manager seems to be uh, the most clear thing. But you're so right that the bridge is nuked. The bridge is nuked. And so they've put themselves in a position where if they want to write their way out, um, it will be very interesting to see how that plays out in the third series. So uh, I, I don't know. I just feel like that might be the right end for that character, but it just feels like a really long way to go to get there. Uh, I mentioned Roy Kent. What did you think, uh, Josh, ultimately about Roy's arc over the course of this season and generally about uh, Roy and Keeley? How are we feeling after two series now where we're at? Uh, with the caveat, of course, that um, the third series is is still in play uh, and could very well answer many of our concerns and will not play the same to those later who are watching this in a binge. You know, there were ways in which like this made me sad, this ending for Roy and Keeley, and then other ways in which like they can come back in either of the two directions, right? Of like, you know, from that moment um, that they share together, which is what, five days after, uh, you know, the the match. Um, at least two more months pass from that. So that's where we are, presumably, uh, like at least two months after um, season two is where we'll pick up in season three would be my uh, understanding of that. And it could be even longer. Who knows? Um, and so I think like they set it up that like enough time passed that if Roy and Keeley are not together in season three, that I think that they could be like not together in a way that's like mature and not played for like, like stupid drama. I don't want that. Like, I really don't want like the stupid, awkward breakup drama. Like I feel like is going to get frustrating and annoying. Um, but like, if they like kind of like got to this place where sort of like they drifted apart where they don't, um, they're, they're not, you know, uh, able to be there for each other in the way that they once were that like, there could be like there could be a world where that where that works. I'll be I'll be bummed and like I don't know what what I'm supposed to feel here. Like, am I supposed? Am, or is this like a will they won't they? Are they going to get back together? Did they break up? What just happened? Um, I feel like a scene like this, Antonio. It's hard for me to imagine why it exists unless they're not together at the start of season three. Like, I feel like this was a breakup scene uh, to to some extent at least. Um, and yeah. I'm sad about it for sure. Um, but I, I really liked so much of what they did with Roy this season. Um, and not just like his, uh, like the, the love for the game that he found, uh, like or rediscovered, uh, you know, like in some ways, like the climax of his arc is him, you know, rushing to, to join the coaching staff. Uh, and that's, that whole sequence is still just so lovely. Um, but in other ways, like there are, um, there's, it was like the journey of him, like to become like a, a really strong coach. Part of that was like learning how to like, let go of your personal stuff with like people you don't particularly like that much. And so like in, in that regard, what I really uh, love the most about uh, like the Roy and Keely ish stuff of the, of the season finale is how Jamie fits into it. Uh, and Jamie showing up being like, I have to talk to you. Uh, and Roy being like, <laughs> do you want to go first? Because if you don't, I may just kill you and you won't have a chance to talk. And then Jamie just like says it all. It's like, it, that was like an extremely shitty thing of me to do i'm really sorry i shouldn't treat people that way and roy even like having to be like damn it 
like I forgave him. Uh, you know, and even like Roy, like kind of uh, like being in on the Diamond Dogs thing by the end of the season. Um, I don't know. All of that stuff really, really, really worked for me. Uh, how about for you? I just I did love the Roy and Jamie moments for sure. Like the the apology was so great. I Phil Dunster has been so good as Jamie Tart. I it's a very funny performance. He really does thread the needle of like so stupid and yet almost profound, both profoundly stupid and just profound. Like he he really does sometimes know exactly what to say, even though it's shocking that he would understand it. At every now and then he busts out of Philistines where Yes, we know the word, but it's not clear what he meant to say instead of Philistines because he clearly wasn't using it correctly. Right. Uh, and there are, those, there are those moments that are very funny. Uh, but then there are also moments where he, like you said, he says the thing. He says everything, everything. He's emotionally sensitive about it. I respect you. He says, I respect Kele. Like he just really leans into it. And uh, funerals did something to me, the dead body or whatever. It's just so very funny, but also like perfect. So I love that. And the headbutt moment at the end, like I, I felt really good about that. The, the Roy and Keeley stuff, I feel less good about, um, but I, I will reserve judgment ultimately because it is a three series show. Uh, I will say I'm not sure. I fully feel like they they accomplished what they were setting out to do. Uh, but I think they were trying. Like I do think they were trying in terms of showing why these two people who are so great for each other might have some issues. And it's mainly just that they're at different points in their lives. And uh, Roy has helped Keeley immensely and will continue to do so. And Keeley has helped Roy immensely and will continue to do so but in order to be successful uh, we haven't necessarily seen that they desperately need one another in order to do that so that part's fascinating to me the most interesting part to me is not just that that keely is having success because that i'm so glad to see that coming even though it is late in the game and it feels positioned late in the game rather than throughout the the show or the season there were these little moments where she was just doing her job and I never got the sense that she was doing her job in a way that made the club somehow better or different than it was before. Um, but I got the impression she was really good at her job uh, and was doing a good job with it. Uh, and the question I just ultimately had was like, uh, what, what's the, where's this heading and where it had, where it's heading obviously was being saved for the end here. This big offer that Keely receives, she's clearly going to go. It makes the most sense for her to go. Uh, it, all of that is great. Um, what I'm not sure about is like, and I do think this tracks, I've long raised uh, to the consternation of some and to the confusion of some, we've got a lot of feedback about this particular issue. I've long said, I don't feel like the moment where Roy quote unquote learned and he basically just shuffled Keely into a bathtub as soon as she got home from work, not considering or asking like if that's what she wanted um, or if she had anything else to do. I mean, she had been so busy uh, and she was telling him how busy she was. Uh, and then he's like, you're not going to do anything for three hours. You're going to sit in this tub. It was an act of love, but it was a little bit an act of misguided love in terms of that might not have been what she needed other than not having Roy hanging over her. She might have needed Roy not hanging over her and had some time to work. And I think that comes to a head here with Roy doing a grand romantic gesture, buying these tickets right. to Marbella. Yeah. And it's just not right. Like, it's just not right for him to expect that she can, in the middle of her work success, go six weeks. And he, I think the, the very telling part to me is like, he says, yeah, I know you have to work. That's why you can send your emails and shit on a deck. And it's like, 
her job is going to be more than just sending out emails and making phone calls, right? Like she has to be there for people. Like this is a really important time for her. There's so much logistics she's working out, starting her own thing. She's not going to be just sending emails. That's not what she does. Like this is a different thing. I think he misunderstands her, but yet he does understand her because when he saw her in that magazine and said, she looks so good and so powerful without me, like he understands that she does not need him to do this. And so I think that's the part where he's a little confused as to what he needs to be doing here. And I think he, I don't think it's a breakup, miss a breakup confusion or that they're bad for each other, but I think he's still working very hard to find the happy medium of supporting her, being there for her and being there for them uh, and not being absent from that. And so I do think that works. I just, the will they or won't they relationship drama of it all. Um, is it landing as well for me? Uh, even though I, I think they've they've made it, they you know they've set it up where I can understand why it might work for others. Definitely, yeah. Um, like it's not my favorite piece of the show, um, and like I don't love living in like this concern over like the future of their relationship. So I'm like, I guess like choosing not to. Uh, yeah, I'm choosing not to be overly concerned about it. The show will do what the show is going to do with it. Um, and I thought that that scene was really good. And I think that you just like connected, um, uh, you know, the, the, like the flowers in the bathtub to this really, really artfully. Um, so I, I feel like, um, for now being like an end point for the relationship, uh, until we get to check back in with these characters, hopefully like next summer, um, that like, I'm okay here. Like I can, I can live in this spot. It's just, it's not my, it's not my favorite story. Yeah, I'm, I'm not like ripping my hair out or like nope. uh, flagellating my back or punishing myself in, 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 you know, anger at, at what, where we're at with this. I do feel, I don't know how you feel, but I feel a little bit conflicted in that. In the same episode that like her professional success and her career success is only being like, um, it feels ultimately like it's being presented in this show for the sake of the drama that it creates in her relationship. Uh, and I, I know that that's true to life. Like I know that that's true to life that people, especially women, um, have to work really hard, probably, uh, in, in a lot of uh, careers, uh, by some power, uh, whether it's twice or a power of 10 harder, um, than others, uh, than who to, to get the same level of respect or the same level of pay. Uh, these issues are, are predominant and prevalent in the world. So I definitely understand that Keeley's success, uh, should not be something that, uh, we take lightly or we take for granted. Uh, and that people who are successful um, often have to sacrifice uh, for those situations to be successful. They have to sacrifice family. I mean, we talked about Jason Sudeikis going away for six months every right. year to make Ted Lasso. Like people make sacrifices to be successful uh, professionally all the time. And I understand that that can also be the case with Keely and Roy's relationship. I just don't feel great about how those two things are so inextricably linked on the show. Uh, because I would, I wouldn't mind just having a story about Keely being successful without the added connection of, but what impact will this have on her love life? Right. Like, I don't feel so great about that at all. Um, I don't think the show is intending uh, to make that connection so predominant, uh, but it's hard to ignore it. And in my opinion, it's hard to ignore it. Yeah, I hear you. All right, let's take another quick break. We're going to throw it to our sponsors one more time, a little bit of banter. Uh, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about the rest of the finale. So hang tight. We'll be back in a sec. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. All right. We have returned. Um, so we've talked about the Nate of it all. We've talked about Roy and Keeley. Where would you want to, where would you want to go next? Uh, a few different options. Like if we want to stay in sort of like romance land, like I think like this is like, you know, a good time to talk about where we landed with Sam and yes, Rebecca. Um, yeah, that's what I want to do. I was, I, I mean, last week I was like, okay, let's get the Sam spinoff. I'm ready to go. And I really was, yep. but, uh, that's not where we went. Um, we, you know, Sam is sticking around. He's not going anywhere. Um, and I'm obviously thrilled, you know, like, and I, and I, and I loved the, the, uh, like the, the post, uh, like sort of like the epilogue scene for Sam starting his restaurant and everything. And I loved getting to see Akufo unmasked. Uh, you know, like <laughs> it was incredible. See, like, the, true, the true Akufo was, uh, absolutely <laughs> unbelievable. One of my favorite scenes of the whole show. Uh, yeah. just like, you know, like crapping on the ground, like fake, like yes. pantomiming, pooping. What is that? Poop to miming. <laughs> I don't know what you want to call that. Uh, uh, I'm gonna to buy. Mine. I'm gonna buy your house. I'm gonna crap in every room like that. Like the they burn thing. it down. Crap on the ashes. Yeah, you Nigerian <laughs> motherfucker. It was so good. It was so just good. So, it was so funny. Um, I don't know. Uh, give us, give us some uh, AC Mazzaroisms on the on the Sam and Richard stuff. Uh, uh, the Sam and I Rebecca good, stuff. Sorry, I feel good about saying I I I was a little. I felt Edwin Akufo was a little bit suspect when he was like, "You have uh, all the time you need. Seventy two hours." Like, yeah. I feel good about reading that that guy was a little bit suspect with all his antics last episode that he wasn't pure. I felt good when when we were about to begin uh, training in this episode and Jamie's like, I have a question like, what are we going to do about that? And he points at the chopper that is still there. Uh, there's nothing, Josh, I know you're a big a helicopter, riding a helicopter like an ass and like an a-hole kind of guy. Oh, yeah. Uh, is, is there is there any good thing you can known. do with a chopper? Yeah. Um, is there any good thing that you can do yeah. with a chopper? Some medevac helicopter could be good. Yeah, like a life, no, yeah there's like a, thing. emergency situations. A yeah. helicopter is great. What about yeah. people who privately own a helicopter? Is there any way to be good when you're pri- and you're, you're you're privately in a helicopter? I was about to say I'm really trying not to judge here, uh, but like, who am I judging? Like, who's listening to this? You own a you privately own a helicopter and you're listening to this podcast. I, you better have signed up at Patreon.com/slash Kosher Recaps. <laughs> is all I'm saying. A oh, buck yeah. a month is not a lot to yes. ask from you with your private blade access. <laughs> no way, baby. That's chopper fuel. You know? Um, yeah. But I, I just, in and of itself, the chopper should have been the word. But I, I truly love that, that scene so much. It makes me laugh. I love that they brought the, uh, the soundtrack back. Like, I love that his little theme 
came back as he was uh, giving his big exit. Uh, it's so good. I love his 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 guy's fake handshake. Like the the handshake guy was going to give oh. Sam the goodbye, and then pulled it away. Oh man, it was so good. And Sam did not know how to react to it. There is a world where. Sam made enemies of Cerithium Oil and Dubai Air, uh, same company. Sam made enemy of uh, Edwin Akufo, like a billionaire. Like, Sam's got all these, like, very high-profile enemies, but I am so hopeful that it plays for comedy, right? That Edwin Akufo is just constantly, like, sending Sam, like, a, a to Sam's restaurant, like, just rotten food or, you know, just things that he could be doing that are, are involve him playing, like, a, just mean pranks on Sam in some way. Like, I'm here for that. And you said spinoff. Sam's doing a restaurant, Josh, and that's prime spinoff material. Sam's restaurant. Yeah. Or at least like, uh, you know, Ted Lasso season four. Like if there's like, I don't know if you still call it Ted Lasso, if Ted Lasso isn't around. But like there's definitely like, I think if if anything, uh, if nothing else, like having Sam have one of the three epilogue scenes uh, and it involves no main characters other than Sam. Um, is such a clear investment in that character's future on uh, uh, whether that's on the show or in the greater franchise. And that is deeply heartening because say what you will about like the Sam and Rebecca storyline specifically. I was talking to a, a, a friend who's like totally disconnected from like the podcast world and like all of that stuff, just watches the show, never thinks about it again. Uh, and we were talking about Ted Lasso because I, I saw that he was watching it. He's like really, really, really supremely out on the Sam and Rebecca stuff, though loves both of those characters individually. And I think that there are many people who, who share the sentiment. Um, I think that Sam had uh, and his like prominence in um, in AFC Richmond and ergo the show was a was a was a huge net positive uh in in season two and so if like what we're setting up here with that epilogue scene is not just that he's still here uh not just that he's like recommitting his efforts to being here um it also feels like the show promising like we have not uh like finished uh you know like really digging into sam as a person and what makes him tick and uh what are um the effects on the world that he may have um because i think that he is just one of the most powerful characters on the show he only gets more wonderful uh and so like this this uh this declaration of intent of having sam open the restaurant and showing us that 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 was one of the three most important things that they needed to leave us with i find that to be a great sign and something i'm really excited about I think that's a great point, and I'm excited about it as well. I'm not thrilled with some of how we got there with the Sam and Rebecca. I know that that story is probably not done either. I want to give a shout out uh, to your great friend, Leslie Goldberg, uh, on the TV's Top 5 podcast and the interview with Bill Lawrence that uh, she and Daniel Feinberg did. Um, She straight up asked Bill Lawrence, should we, in hindsight, have been more uncomfortable with the power dynamic between Rebecca and Sam and should that have been the thing that we spent more time talking about or focusing on? And what do you feel about that? And Bill Lawrence gave what I felt was, in hindsight, a very circumspect answer. And he sort of said, like, look, this writer's room is really smart. Uh, there's a lot of discourse. Bill Lawrence has been famously following it all season, engaging with people on Twitter in a way that a lot of uh, showrunners do not. Uh, and maybe that's good for his mental health. Maybe it's bad. Who am I to judge? Uh, because I engage with the masses on Twitter like it is my job. Uh, so, and it's not good for my mental health. So, mm. uh, but I will say, um, Bill Lawrence uh, basically said, like, look, if there's a conversation you're having 
or people are having odds are they had it in the writer's room. Like they're very smart. And then you sort of said, like we sat down and we did the three season arcs on all these characters. We had plans for them. And so I took that as a way of him saying, like, if you're not feeling great about Sam and Rebecca, stay tuned. Like there's probably going to be more uh, in that realm. Uh, It certainly did not feel finalized, right? It doesn't feel final to me. It felt like Sam uh, said to Ted uh, as his Rebecca stand in, uh, which getting, you know, pulling that lens back and, and taking in like, okay, so then what these characters are saying is what Jason Sudeikis really feels about his life. Um, but anyway, uh, Ted's or Sam speaking to Ted as Rebecca saying, I didn't, st- I wish I could say I stayed because of my feelings for you. I did not. Uh, I stayed because it was the right thing for me to do uh, for my personal story. Uh, and it's like, okay, well, that does not end the Sam and Rebecca situation. It just means Sam didn't stay because of her, but they may not be done. Uh, I don't know how the power dynamic is going to come back into play on that front, um, just like with Edwin Akufo um, and with uh, some of the other things that we talked about on this podcast. I still feel like there's a world where that comes out in a very bad way, uh, yeah. a tabloid way, in a Rupert Anger way in a West Ham uh, getting in their heads, trying to bury Rebecca kind of way. Um, I'm trying to remember, is that something Nate knew about Rebecca? That's not, right? Not that I uh, can recall. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah, so I don't know if that could come out that way or somewhere else. I just feel like there may be other uh, shoes to drop in this regard. And I'm fine with Rebecca and Sam never being a thing again. Uh, but I definitely want to continue to have more, more of Sam, uh, than we did in series one, uh, like we did here in series two. And I'm, I'm glad the restaurant gives us an opportunity to do that separate and apart from the football club and certainly separate and apart from Rebecca. Yeah. And I think like, just like, um, you know, potentially like a new setting for the show, you know, as the show continues to grow, um, you know, like a new place to hang out other than just like, uh, the, the hallowed halls of AFC Richmond, uh, the pub, you know, like give us a couple of different places to check in on. I think that that's always fun. Um, and so to have like, um, these opportunities to like, not just hang out with Sam potentially, but who's going to come to Sam's, right? Like who's going to show up and who's going to get to have like um, uh, moments of comedy, of drama, of wisdom, uh, like what great scenes are going to occur here. Uh, it just feels like a really great, uh, important potential destination for season three to explore. So I'm, I'm psyched about that. I think that's great. And I do think that like what he says at the end of um, the season to Rebecca, but looking at Ted while he says it does feel to me in some regards to be like um, Sam breaking up with Rebecca, you know, like uh, Sam being like, I wish I could say, it, you know, I'm here for you, but I'm not like I'm, I'm here right. for me, you know, like and so if they've both kind of like mutually reached this place, then I think it, it's, uh, you know, well within the the realm of possibility that like this is the show being like, if not done with this storyline, then at least maybe done with like their mutual continued attempt at a romance. And now we're in like, you know, sort of like in like the post romance, like we're in like sort of like the history uh, in in um, like the, it's like the romantic history and how that informs the future type stuff. I don't know. Hard to predict. We always say like we we're, we've stopped predicting stuff and then we just keep trying to do it anyway. Um, yeah, that's fair. So that's fair. What are you, you going to do? Uh, like I, I kind of feel like um I'm I'm done with it, but like also it happened, and so like there's some degree to which like it's inauthentic to not acknowledge it, um, and especially when um, Bill Lawrence is out here saying we've considered all of these arcs and all of this stuff, 
which I think is definitely a thing that you uh, can and probably should say as a showrunner, but like, we'll never get the receipts. You know, we, right. we, we've got no eyes in the room of like, did anyone like pipe in being like, hey, this is actually like a really awkward and uh, frankly problematic power dynamic that's at play here that perhaps we should explore uh, conversationally before we decide whether or not we want to go through with this or at least like discuss how it would impact the storyline. Uh, like we have no idea if anyone said anything like that or if that's like an ethos in the room. We just have no idea. All we can do is take the showrunner's word for it and it's the showrunner's job to defend the show. Um, so I, I don't know where I land on like everything is planned, especially coming from somebody who I think, and I mean this in, with no disrespect to, to the showrunner, uh, or to one of the creators of the show, at least in, in Bill Lawrence, but isn't Bill Lawrence the one who's also said like, it would be great to like go past three seasons if we can get the right idea. But it's like, you know, Jason's call about Jason's you right. storyline. Um, right. so like maybe like my trust is not all the way there. Uh, you know, long way of saying that. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, I think we're going to get a, th- a three season arc that was pretty much planned. Um, that is the Jason Sudeikis, Ted Lasso story. Uh, and then where it goes from there, I don't know. And I'm, I'm, I'm of, of a couple minds here. Like I really do hope they make the third season as they intended it. Uh, and without this sort of setup for, Oh, here's how we could do more. Here's how we right. want to do more. Like I just, I want them to make the show that Jason Sudeikis had kicking around in his head for so many years that they seemingly arced out from the beginning, uh, at least to certain extents, uh, the things that they seeded, the things we're getting into. I do want that, um, but certain things feel like they have been added or changed, uh, which is also fine. Um, there's a good discussion about that in the TV's Top 5 podcast as well. Like, how do you not account for the fact that, yes, maybe you arc out three seasons, but then you get Hannah Waddingham and Juno Temple in a room together. Right. And how do you not want to just put them in as many scenes as possible? How do you not want to let that influence the stories that you're telling? Because these two actors are so good together and clearly on and off screen. Uh, it works so well. It's so that's a, that's a big thing. But, uh, but yeah, I, I just with the Sam stuff, I, I do think the Sam stuff felt it feels like it was part of a, a plan to give us more Sam uh, after season one. Uh, and I'm, I'm happy for that. The, the ultimate end of it, that, that it came as a, a part of the relationship story, especially when, okay, we can talk about all these arcs. I just, I don't necessarily feel like I have the best grasp on the trajectory of Rebecca's story. Um, what she's uh, striving for, like uh, where, where the, what, what's happening? Like, What's happening in terms of her arc is is maybe a little bit lost on me, and I know the contextualization of the you know of that in the beginning of this season was she wants to get to a place where she's okay uh, being vulnerable again uh, when she's okay um, giving of herself to another uh, and letting herself be exposed and uh, being hurt again like that that's all really important for her to move on from what the pain of the situation with Rupert caused her to do in season one. Uh, now that she put that behind her and made her peace with that, it's about making her peace with getting back to good again, uh, making Rebecca great again, literally. And I, I just, I, I don't know exactly where I feel we're at with that. Um, and I don't feel like I like that. All of that seems to be in the context of relationships. But I will say, like, she seems to kick ass in so many other ways that I don't know. I, I understand why there. this is her sort of thing that she has to get past because she's destroying it 
uh, as an owner. She's doing such a good job. She's so powerful. Like she really is such an inspiration for Keely. I love that relationship. I love the scene between the two of them. I loved how Higgins articulated like what a great mentor is versus a good one. And I knew that Rebecca was a great mentor for Keely. I love them both sobbing about it. Like that was all really, really good to me. Uh, I just don't really need Rebecca and Sam anymore. I don't need it for Rebecca or Sam. And I want them both to be having these things that advance their characters. I just, I don't know right now how I feel about that, what that, that story being in this season, but I, I am reserving the right to say I have a problem with it because I do want to see what we do with that in season three. Um, do you want to talk about Trent Krim? I was just going to say, speaking of things that I want to talk about for what they do within season three, how about our boy Trent Krim? How What's about our Trent boy Trent Krim? Krim? Uh, Can't ride a bike. Can't ride a bike. That's the first thing that's up with him. Uh, that's a surprise. Um, <laughs> it's because of the overall vibe. The overall vibe gives me, uh, you know, Trent Krim can ride a bike, uh, would be my takeaway. Um, yeah, Trent Krim has, uh, gone full independent. Uh, he's out at the independent for having, uh, revealed Nate as the anonymous source. Uh, so Trent Krim, uh, is, uh, is, uh, he is independent. Antonio, do we like this? Do we like a world where Trent Krim potentially is no longer part of like the gaggle of reporters, but is instead somebody who can, you know, write whatever it is he wants to write, such as, I don't know, the official Ted Lasso biography that uh, Apple TV Plus will then release as a tie in book at the end of season three, because that's the world we live in. Yes, 100% would buy that book. Uh, 100% would buy that book. Uh, really, really would buy that book. I like reading football books anyway. Uh, football biographies, whether auto uh, authorized or unauthorized, are an extremely popular genre of, of uh, sport books or just books in general. Uh, most footballers will write a book and they'll tell uh, some of the, the, the stories of the big moments or incidents from their career. Uh, they will, uh, they will slate, uh, some people. They will rate others. Like they really, really, these books are, are famous, uh, for what they give in terms of insight into the game. And I have read authorized biographies of football managers. I've read unauthorized ones. Uh, I've read ones where the reporter had access, ones where they didn't. The Trent Krim one in the situation with Ted, if that were to be the case, Trent suggests he's looking into something deeper. Uh, that certainly would suggest novel to me, not novel, but biography to me. Uh, so th- in that world, I could see Ted loosely playing along with it and being okay with it, but not really going all in on it. Uh, I just, and I feel like that, that could be, I mean, it is great to hear the uh, story in season one when Trent writes the positive story about Ted. Um, you, I, I, in my mind, I hear some of that in Trent's voice, right? Like I hear the cosine ultimately and how big of a deal that was. Uh, even though I know it's Higgins reading it to Rebecca, there's this sort of hybrid of it, um, where it, you know, it is Trent's voice. And it's like, I, I don't know where a book, what a book does for this. Uh, and I, I'm, I know I'm guilty of this, uh, because I just spent time criticizing, relationships and all of this show's focus on them, even though this is a show about relationships. But I want to know, like, if Trent Krim writes the Ted Lasso biography, and maybe he gets into the real deep stuff, right? Is How much of this does, like, for example, a Michelle Lasso know? And is it the book or maybe some of the insight into Ted that changes that situation? Because if Ted's going to return, I don't need him to get back with Michelle. 
I just thought it was very interesting that we had the text exchange between Michelle and Ted at the beginning of this episode in the way that we did. I was glad that she was there for him in that moment, but I think it spoke a lot that she wasn't really there for him. He was sort of deflecting with humor, and she said, you're obviously fine. Like, I think that's her misunderstanding what obviously fine is with Ted Lasso, and that speaks to him maybe not letting her know uh, when he isn't obviously fine. Right. So I, I don't know. Is is there a world in this show uh, where Trent writes the book about Ted and something is in that book that recontextualizes Ted for Michelle or... Is there is there any Ted and Michelle left to go? Uh, I I just don't know what else of a point the book would have other than getting people to respect Ted. I don't if Ted's gonna if Trent's gonna write the book. It'll be funny to see Trent and Ted interacting with each other and have that hanging out there. But the written word, other than selling it to us, I don't know the actual narrative impact of it. Uh, Nate, it, it it causes Nate to come around. That's a good point. Nate could yeah. read the book and say. Okay, I feel bad now. I mean, I feel like Nate already feels bad, and he just leaned into the darkness. Yeah, but yeah, maybe. But if maybe there's like it. you know, like he like you can only spit at yourself in the mirror so much, you know, uh, yeah. like it, like you know, so many so many hours of your day can only be spent like that. Uh, like, is he going to read the book? Uh, will that change uh, the calculus for Nate um, yeah, in some point. capacity? Like, I think like that's a character who this could have massive impact on. Um, I think a, a more narrative utility could be, um, you know, like uh, other characters, you know, learning through like Ted's example about themselves. You know, that's like the the beauty of stories, right? That like uh, in somebody who is very different from you, you see some piece of yourself or your own life and it makes you think about that stuff. Like that's, uh, you know, that's art working. Um, so like, could could a biography do something similar for a bunch of these other characters in the continued uh, lasso effect. Um, but this is all assuming that there is a book, uh, that there is right. more to like Trent Krim doing stuff with, with Ted rather <laughs> than this just being like, we're just like writing out Trent Krim. Um, but why would they have even bothered with this scene at all? Right. Like right. what's yeah. the point of this scene? Um, if not, uh, to like, uh, set, uh, set something else in motion. You know, I think like that is, that is off, not always, but it is often, a function of a season finale is to like close uh close some doors and open new ones uh and this felt like both like a door closing and another one opening even as trent was literally struggling to open his car door uh so (laughs) i love that character note by the way yeah very good very good joe cool Uh, great car great hair great look and guy can't pull it off because he locked his keys in his car so I'm interested. I'm interested to see where where this goes. Uh, and I at least appreciate that. Like, uh, hey, I can appreciate uh, journalistic burnout. Uh, that is certainly something that I can see, and like I can feel that. And like I appreciate that. And I appreciate that. Uh, like the show, like kind of addressed that. That like Trent writes something that Trent has to write, and that Trent finds unpalatable, and maybe like uncork something that Trent Krim, as a journalist, had been feeling for a minute. Um, you know, like that's that's a story that I I uh, I don't think that I anticipated. I thought that they were just like going to have this be like a wholly irresponsible thing that he did with no with no further interrogation. Um, and is it like a pretty still like surface level light interrogation? Yeah, but at least like it engaged it a bit, and like I. 
can do some extrapolation uh, for sure of uh, when you find something that is just like really, uh, uh, really grimy and it doesn't feel right and you don't want to do this and like um, enough of those moments that can uh, that can push you into a different direction. Like I felt like uh, that worked for me with with Trent here. I'm just glad that they engaged it at all. I also really liked how uh, Trent said when when ted made the joke the dad joke it was a literal dad joke it was a joke that trent's father had also made and it made me feel like for a show that has had so many father issues and relationship issues anytime a father gets mentioned i'm on high alert right and it's like maybe part of the reason that trent is so interested in ted is because he sees a little bit of his father in him uh whether it's the goofiness or the jokes or the, the you know the charm and the wit whatever it is there's a connection there. Uh, I, I just don't, it's not by accident that Trent mentions his father there. Uh, just like it's not by accident that we see him lock his keys in his car. Like those are clear choices and clear moments. They're giving us a little bit peek behind the curtain into Trent Krim. I suspect we're going to get a much deeper peek behind that curtain in the third season. And I'm, I'm all, I'm here for it. I can't wait. Yeah. Um, what other free kicks do we want to do? Horticulture, baby. Yeah, horticulture, we gotta, baby. We got to shout that out. Uh, Everybody, the people, uh, the patrons of Post Show Recaps in the Discord seem to love that line. I, and I'm a fan. I'm going to say that anytime I'm watering my plants as well. Um, yeah. Really, really like that beardism. Uh, speaking of like uh, just the connections between things and uh, stuff that we, you know, we we were tracking or. What's happening here? Uh, a lot of cyclical stuff here. We begin the season with the murder of Earl Greyhound, uh, and football is life, and life begins again. And we have uh, we have mascot Idol uh, with Tina Fayhound, uh, and I forget what yeah. the other the other dog's name was, but uh, we're bring- Macy Greyhound. We're bringing those back into the mix, and Danny makes the penalty kick. So not only do we get do we begin and end the season on Nate's face, but we begin the season with Danny having a huge penalty kick moment. We end the season the same way. Uh, I thought really smart writing. I like that. Uh, I also re- really like the writing of Ted being so screwed up that he mixed up the salt and the sugar and the cookies, but maybe not to negative effect because Rebecca yeah, said, that's Ooh. not going to work. You know, that's <laughs> she's a, a sneaky, salty bitch like Heather Locklear on Melrose Place. And you know what, Heather Locklear, honestly, on Melrose Place, like you could you could say a lot about Amanda Woodward, but I don't know how sneaky she was. I think she was pretty cards up that she was uh, she was coming after you. Uh, Anyway, that's just uh, well, we could talk about Melrose Place another time. Uh, But like the salt uh, and sugar switcheroo, like, I don't know that it's going to uh, to yield this effect. I feel like that's a pretty big. That was a pretty big baking faux pas. That is going to render the thing that he made uh, inedible, almost. Yes, he did not do well in the technical. Let's just say that Ted did I, not nail the technical. I I love a salty sweet combo. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I think that there is much to be done in that realm. Um, but I think like the full swap of the salt and the sugar in the cookie is not gonna. It's not gonna go well. Speaking of uh, a swapping salt, um, (laughs) do you think we're going to see Susan, the dog breeder again, who was really interested in Keeley there? What was the point of that scene in that character? I have no idea. I think just gags. I think just gags. It was funny. I mean, I did laugh. I did laugh. Keeley is, uh, she's constantly, no matter what what situation Keeley ends up in, finding somebody who is very interested in Keeley, to say the least, whether it is a 
young man uh, in his early 20s or uh, the only female greyhound breeder in all of London uh, or whatever the Susan's the the dog breeder's title was. Uh, Keeley's always finding somebody who's interested in Keeley. So uh, I, I, I don't know what to make of that particular scene. If that if we're doing like introducing characters in the finale or we're going to see him again or highlighting things, uh, as you said, opening doors as we're closing them. I didn't know if that was a door that was being opened or not. Uh, I really don't think it is, but you never know. Um, I also, speaking of doors being closed and others being opened, uh, I really thought it was good how um, Ted sort of, we talked about how Ted was reacting and responding to Michelle, but then we saw Ted's like leaving the house and all of the public's response to him, including the wanker guy um, who really kind of laid into him about the beaches of Normandy, uh, but then said, just do the work, pal, and you'll be all right, which felt like the nicest thing the guy ever said to him. He called him pal. Yeah. Uh, so Ted feels like he's made some progress there. Uh, and I, I like seeing how that really evolved. I do wish we could see some more of these, uh, the ensemble, if you will, some more of these people who have been in multiple episodes. Now, the more we feature them, the better I I like basically everybody that's popped up in small roles on the show. And that's why I wondered about the dog breeder, because we do seem to see characters again. Speaking of seeing characters again, Josh, we didn't get Dr. Sharon in this episode. We got a great Dr. Sharon voice memo for Ted yeah. in this episode, but we didn't get Dr. Sharon in this episode. Uh, I, I seem, I, it seems clear from, uh, I mean, I just feel like she will be playing a part in series three of the show, um, whether it's from casting news or interviews. It just feels like that that's going to happen. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Do you feel okay that she was taken off the board in the way she was before the finale and that, she was there for Ted, but not there in this episode. Well, I think that the you know the 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 work was there, right? Like you know, like the 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 impact of Ted and Sharon's time together was very present in the finale, and like the Ted Lasso of the final episode is like unrecognizable uh, from the Ted who's dealing with Doctor Sharon earlier in the season. So in like that way, I think that that can be a very effective thing. Like the absence of a character being as strong as like that character's presence. Um, with that said, I love Doctor Sharon very, very much and want to see her on the show always now. Uh, and I think with this time jump, with um, you know, with everybody knowing what they know about Ted now, um, with Ted's um, you know, incredible uh public comments about like we have we do a really bad job talking about mental health in our society, and I I would love for that to change. That's something that needs to change. That I think that there is uh, uh, uh I I can see the path where like. Dr. Sharon is back as like a full-time employee at Richmond in season three. Like, I think like something like that would make a lot of sense to me. Um, but another thing that would make a lot of sense to me would be seeing Dr. Sharon with Nate potentially, um, I think is like a pairing uh, that you could imagine that like Nate's going to need some help getting out of this. Uh, and if, and I know again, like people's interest in like that guy doesn't need my help. You know, I get it. I totally, totally do. Um, like, but I think that the show is probably, probably interested in it um so i think that those are a couple of different paths to see sharon back on the show i'm looking forward to it i really uh i really thought that was such a great character that was introduced and i at first i, I wasn't sure because she was standoffish and it just seemed like she there was some level of like not returning ted's like outgoing charm and kindness but seeing why and like understanding that you're never required to match someone's energy right like 
especially if they're like try smiling more be nicer like i'm not criticizing her for that i just thought it was weird that she didn't wave back to him you know what i mean like but i'm we should never expect characters to match ted's energy especially and finding out why she didn't and finding out her vulnerabilities and learning more about that character was one of the great successes of this season for me uh and one of the things i really like the most about this season so I would love to see Dr. Sharon back, and I would like to see her back in a capacity that gives us more about her, um, gives us more of her story, uh, gives us more of finding out what she wants out of the world and how she can get it. Uh, and I hope to God it's not relationship-based. That's all I can really say. Uh, yeah. I really, I want to see uh, some Dr. Sharon in, this, in the third season, and I, I do think we will see it. I think that has been all but confirmed. So I'm excited for that. I'm excited for that, for sure. Uh, and I feel great about um, how she was in this episode. You're right. Like, the work was there. Her presence was felt in every moment that Ted was not completely the entirety, of the, the entirety of the way that Ted handled yep. everything, yep. Um, yep. which, like, I don't know what I expected, uh, you know, like, coming into this, like, how, how was, like, how was this all going to be handled with everybody knowing about his panic attacks? And I, like... Um, like the graciousness, the like the openness. Like uh, I was really impressed with the portrayal of Ted uh, in this episode. Maybe um, really happy with that direction of of the show. And I think like I think your points earlier about like uh, like if the takeaway is like did by working on myself did I neglect something? Did I cause something? Like I think that these are like questions that sometimes you do end up having. You know, like I think that like you like can't help as a human but like feel like what did I do wrong when the answer is you didn't do anything anything wrong right. uh you uh, if you did anything wrong you committed the in the unavoidable sin of interacting with another person you know like <laughs> you know so like these podcasts are sins are they mortal or venial or like what are we doing here yeah i mean every day uh, uh professional sinners over here uh well, remember speaking we, of which the sinner returns on usa next yeah, week. i was just gonna say remember we used to podcast <laughs> about that for like five minutes yeah, uh, I, I had a great time doing that, but it is one of those things that I think back on all the things you and I have podcasted about, and someone would then say like, "Oh, remember when you guys did Sinner season two? I'd be like, "Oh yeah, yeah we I guess did. we did. I, I did. guess we did do that." Yeah, uh, I love the Sinner. I can't wait for it to come back. I know you can't. Um, yeah. but uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, I feel like um, these are these are these are things that like you can't help but feel. So like, I'm interested in the show's exploration of that, and like uh wanting like to to like get it vocalized by by ted of like you know um really wanting to hear that like acceptance of like you you it's not quitting if somebody like you know he didn't quit you didn't fail uh you didn't it, it's nothing like that it's like you're not in control of everything you're not like you cannot you cannot expect to be in control of everybody you cannot in like you cannot uh determine whether or not um someone likes you or likes what you did um you can you can you can and you really ought to try very hard not to be an a-hole to the people around you um but there are times that you're going to make a choice that is in your best interest decisively based on all of like the accounting that you have done and someone's going to be really upset about it and that sucks but like yeah. it's not born out of malice it's born out of reality uh and there are um there are there are ways to deal with that that are healthy and there are ways to deal with that that 
that are not healthy and there are ways to react to when something like that happens to you that are healthy and ways to react to that stuff uh, very unhealthily. And I think that the show has a lot of room to explore all of that messiness. And I think that that is a thing that I appreciate about season two of this show is that it got messier. Um, that it did like, uh, like it, it did like add a couple of additional dimensions to, to what it means to be alive. Uh, and it's not just about like, uh, find the joy in every situation and everything will be okay. That's really easy to say and almost impossible to practice. Uh, and I think that there is still further work to be done in all of this but that's what a third season is for um so i'm excited to see what they do with uh with with like sort of like the mental health angle and like the emotional health angle and like how to get to places where you can like you can feel comfortable just breathing um i think are things that uh the show really strived to highlight in season two and did a really, I thought terrific job with Ted specifically and Jason Sudeikis, his performance, the writing of the character in, um, in that final uh, episode of season two. Uh, And I think it sets the stage for a lot of really interesting exploration to go uh, deeper in season three. Definitely. And everything you just said um, was, was so I well put and on point, and I think it is vocalized and localized in Dr. Sharon's message to Ted when she says the truth will set you free, like doing the work and being honest with yourself and being vulnerable and letting yourself be out there in the world. It will set you free, but it'll piss you off first. Uh, first it'll piss you off is the way that she put it. And I think we're in some of the first it'll piss you off stage. It's like, yes. Ted, doing the work and doing this truth is what will ultimately free you from the prison that, is, that you've created uh, by virtue of needing to do this, right? But there's going to be some bumps in the road. Like, at first, it's going to piss you off. Like, it's going to piss you off. You're going to feel like, I shouldn't be doing this. It's making me angry. Like, all the ways that it did. She just, in like one sentence, really summed up what you're talking about, like in terms of how it's all part of it. Like, yes, it's going to be unavoidable that when you focus on yourself and when you do these things, uh, some people are not going to be happy about the result. Like, and so that's going to piss you off, but ultimately it will set you free. Like, you're going to feel better about what happens just by being authentic and by being true. Uh, and by being true to that, uh, and, and being vulnerable and real and all the things. Um, that, that, that authenticity will help Ted Lasso. And Dr. Sharon has recognized that. Uh, and she recognizes too, that it's not going to be easy. First, it will piss him off. Like that's where we're at. And I think that there's re- definitely room to continue along these lines and I'm here for it. And I'm also here for the fact that Dr. Sharon was here for Ted. I love that. I'm also here for the fact that Beard was here for Ted. I love that Beard is, like I said earlier, sort of. Ted's like Ted is the beard whisperer, but beard is the Ted whisperer in many yeah. ways. Not just that he puts the article in his pocket and claims to have not seen it, but that later on, in a, just a subtle way, he encourages the conf- confrontation with Nate, saying basically like, you know what, Ted? Sometimes it's okay to be a little angry. Some people need a push. Like you can't hold all this in. Your mustache will pop off, is what Beard says, which is hilarious. Uh, and then great joke about how Ted would look like that fellow from The Hangover, Bradley Cooper. Not at yeah, home. not at home. <laughs> right. Uh, but 
I like that Beard played that role with Ted in this episode. I also liked, we have not talked about, Roy Kent and the Diamond Dogs, Josh. That was really very funny, except for Nate's role in it. Uh, but just Roy's reaction to the Diamond Dogs was great. And Roy saying that Keeley's, uh, that him not being in the picture with Keeley hurt his feeling, singular. Yeah, my so feeling. Funny to me. Really Roy has my one feeling. feeling. <laughs> Yeah, he has one feeling that's part of his issue right it's like this perpetual state of like either anger or frustration or just calm uh and he's walking around a clenched fist wanting to headbutt the world he has one feeling and this hurt that one feeling. i love so, that i thought love that, was that. Great. love the diamond dog scene love that uh it does though i i think it does remind us that you know when when roy gets keely's news uh he basically says you aren't going to have time for me anymore uh that's what he says to keely in the middle of the episode um and that's fascinating to me because like while roy does have the one feeling uh there the one feeling is wrapped up in a lot here and he's probably in his own head about some of this stuff and it, it maybe he does need the six weeks in marbella to get past this and maybe we'll come back and everything will be fine that would be great with me um but i i do think that the one feeling uh made me laugh yeah. uh even as nate complaining that he deserved to be headbutted and seeing that as a microaggression not being taken as seriously as Roy was taking Jamie, uh, really cast a pall over everything that happened in that office and was all part of the Nate story more than anything else. Uh, but Ted and Beard's reactions to Roy approving of the Diamond Dogs, also one of the funniest things of yes. the season. Yes. So uh, funny. They were so excited. They were so excited. Everyone was they so, were so happy about it, except for Nate. I, I, people I, I, not being happy, the Renaissance painting of masculine melancholy was also a thing that cracked me up. That was good. That was good. There's a lot of like little moments. Like I, I was a little worried that there wasn't like going to be enough time to deal with like so much stuff, but there was not only like enough time to deal with like just about all of like the big stories, um, but also like room for like, uh, like this episode spent like an entire like two minutes on, uh, on Edwin Akufo's freak out. Right. Yes. You know, like, so like, there was all of this room for all this stuff. Like I did not have like Danny Rojas needs to like redeem the, the, the killing of Earl, the Greyhound moment, you know, like that wasn't something that like I even like thought had to happen here. And like they, they made time for so much stuff. I was, I was impressed with, um, with just how much was accomplished in the finale. Little character moments like Isaac leading the team to touch the sign or will, uh, dropping the thing in the back of the Renaissance painting or Will witnessing the Roy and Jamie confrontation. Will just being an awkward, funny moment in the background of these scenes is great for him. Yeah. We even got a Jan Moss moment, Josh. Jan yes. Moss is the guy to stand yes. up for the tactic. Yes. So like, you know, like they took the time to like give everybody something. Yep. Uh, Including a helmet on uh, the new Earl Greyhound. Yes. Whether that was Macy Gray uh, or Tina Fey. Uh, that was very funny. So yeah. they took the time. We took the time. Um, I, I have a question for you. Do you want still water or sparkling water at this point, Josh? Um, just like generally, um, I'll give you know what. I'll tap is fine. Tapas, uh, you're a tapas guy. Just the tap is fine. I'll take some tap. tap yeah, New York good. has great tap water. You would like it. I'll take uh, the you tap. would like it. I'll take the tap. Uh, the five weeks or five days, three weeks, two days, or whatever the structure was. Five, three, two. Literally a pyramid of football tactics, five, three, two, uh, five at the back, three in the middle, two up top. Like, so you're building a pyramid. Uh, that is, uh, not by accident, I would submit. Uh, and so that's, that's definitely there. I love the run the jewels, uh, needle drop at the end. Run the jewels, one of my favorite musical acts. So to hear RTJ at the end there, 
um with nate's heel turn uh was a was a at least a pleasant way to ride that out so i really like that moment as well i don't have anything else in my notes josh other than whistle whistle in all caps i don't know what that means I'm just um, well maybe that's uh <laughs> oh, I, go what what do you got what do you have Fuck you, Piers Morgan. That's oh, it. Oh, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> All right. Fair a well-deserved, a well-deserved yeah. F you to Piers Morgan. The world cheered when that was uttered. Well played. Um, well, the good news is if anything comes up between uh, now and next week, we will have another podcast uh, to address it. We're not done talking Ted Lasso. The Ted Lasso talk continues. We will be back next week. Could be like a day or two late. We'll see. But we are definitely coming back with one more show uh, where we will, uh, if you've got feedback, we'll go over it. Ted Lasso at PoshaRecaps.com. Uh, you can also talk to us in the Posha Recaps patron discord, where once again, even at the $5 level, you can sign up and be part of the Posher Recaps patron discord for the month of October. Consider it patreon.com slash post show recaps. You can talk to us about all things Ted Lasso season two. We'll get into it. May even have a special guest along the way. Uh, so it should be a really fun time for at least one more additional Ted Lasso talk before we are done uh, looking at all things season two. You can hit us up on Twitter also. Did you know that? You can do that. I'm at Round Howard. Antonio, you're at AC Mazar with how many Z's, how many R's? As many seasons of Ted Lasso as there have been uh, and as many R's as there are to go. Yeah. Uh, so we think. So we think. Uh, two and one. Um, all right. Antonio, anything else you want to talk about before we close out? No, uh, that's really it. I really, I was, I felt very good about this finale on so many levels. I was really satisfied with everything that went down there. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to seeing, uh, what the B in BILF stands for. I guess it's boss. Um, when Roy calls <laughs> Kelia BILF, right. uh, I guess uh, it's boss. Uh, yeah. I hope it's not anything else. Yes. Yes. Uh, right. well, just a couple of BILFs signing out here. Pilfs. I uh, think we're PILFs, Josh, uh-huh. podcasters. Yes. Yes. Uh, uh, I'd like to be friends with. Um, yes. We will return next week with some more Ted Lasso coverage. Until then, everybody, take care. Bye bye. Cheers. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.